Um, so today is Palm Sunday, uh, the beginning of Holy Week. And we have celebrated already today, have we not? We have waved some palms and sang some songs. Come on, sisters and brothers. Uh, we celebrated. We partied. And if you were a person that walked in off the streets, let's say today was your first day that you've ever been to church, and you walked in and you experienced sort of what was happening during that song where everybody's running around waving palms uh, and everyone's singing and kind of losing their minds, um, you might have some questions. <laughs> you might wonder, what in the world are these people doing? Uh, did I stumble into a cult of some kind? Um, and maybe for some of you who are gathered here, you've been doing this a long time and you still wonder, what in the world are we doing? Like, why do we do that? Well, today we're going to be talking about why we do that. Uh, we're going to be telling the story once again and digging a little bit deeper into the story. Because this is a special day, not just because it's Palm Sunday, but because it's the Sunday before the Sunday. Right? It's the Sunday before the Sunday. The Sunday before Resurrection Sunday. It is the moment before the moment. And the moment before the moment is the most important moment. Now you know this deep down inside because you've experienced this in your life. Let me explain. Uh, how many of you have ever been off of a high dive in your life? You know, like the diving boards that are 500 feet in the air? Uh, yeah? So you might remember when you were about to do this, which most of the time you were either coerced um, or dared um, or shamed, right, into doing it that first time. And so you're climbing up that ladder that feels like you're climbing to heaven, uh, and then you get up to the top and, you know, it's hard to walk, your knees are kind of wobbly, and you walk over to the edge of the diving platform or board and you look down and the swimming pool looks like a postage stamp because you're like so high in the air. And, you know, you can hear the sounds of your friends either jeering or cheering or whatever it is that they're doing. And you stand there with your toes on the edge and you take a breath. That is the moment before the moment. And that moment before the moment is the most important moment because that's the moment of decision of whether you're going to jump off of the high dive or whether you're going to back up and climb down the ladder. And that moment, that decision, right, it feels like it's an eternity even though it may only be a split second. And see, we know this feeling because we feel this in other areas of our life. We've had those moments of decision that we've had to make where we knew that whatever was ahead of us was uncertain, but it could be incredible, but it was uncertain, and we didn't know exactly what to do. And so we had that moment as we were standing there on the precipice of whatever decision that we were about to make, whether it was a decision about a relationship, about a career, about a family decision, or even about our faith. And we stand there on the edge and take a breath. And the moment before the moment becomes the most important moment right then because the decision that you make can change everything for you. We all know what this feels like. And, 
And, and I've had my share of those moments as well. Every great thing in my life I owe to those moments before the moment when I actually made the right choice, when I stepped forward in faith, when I trusted that God was on the other side of whatever um, I couldn't see. Every great thing in my life. I'm married to my high school sweetheart, the love of my life. I'm madly in love with her, the girl of my dreams. I have three great kids. I got a wonderful family. And I get to do this with you, my dream job. All because there were moments in my life, the moment before the moment, when I had to make a decision and I stepped forward and I trusted what was on the other side was something that God had in store for me, that God was there already. Like Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. The place is somewhere in the future, right? And I trusted that. But here's the thing. Some of the biggest regrets I've had in my life have been when I have backed away from those moments and I climb back down the ladder instead. The moment before the moment is the most important moment. And the story of Palm Sunday is the story of the moment before the moment for Jesus. When Jesus had an opportunity, when he could have decided, I'm not going to ride into Jerusalem today. But instead, he did, knowing what was ahead of him, knowing that whatever came next, after he set those things into motion, could very well result in his own destruction. Jesus, in the moment before the moment, did not waver. And because of that, it changed everything for you and for me and for all of creation. So today we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to read the story of Palm Sunday. And so, many of you have read different versions of this, but what I would like for you to do today is just pay attention to the words or the phrases that pop out for you. Because some of us, I believe, will have some questions as we dig through. And I'm hoping that you do, because I'm hoping that we'll dig together into this. Today, I'm going to do a little bit of... For any history buffs in here? You like history? Okay, so you're going to love the sermon today. You're going to be like, yes, finally, right? Um, and so if you're not a history buff, just lean in anyway, because there's some important things that we need to know about why we are doing this thing that we do on Palm Sunday. And so let's read. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. I've always found it interesting um, that these are the two, whatever disciples that did this, right? These two disciples, they were basically being told to go and jack a donkey. <laughs> I mean, some of us get called to do other things as disciples of Jesus. These guys had to go steal a donkey. They went and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. As they untied it, <laughs> this always makes me laugh. Some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. So that's when you know, like, something's up, right? Like, okay, we're going to trust that this is going to turn out all right and that we're not going to be arrested. And so this is what happens, right? So when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. 
Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, or Hoshana. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hoshana in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, and since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So the story tells us here that there are some people who met Jesus when he came into Jerusalem. But we need to understand a little bit of background on what's going on as to why this is so important and what are the symbols and the signs that we're seeing in the story. So sometime before Jesus arrived and came into Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman procurator, the governor of that area, which was uh, known as Judea, or the Romans called it Palestina. Uh, So Pilate was the governor over that area. Um, He had his headquarters all the way on the coast in Caesarea Maritima uh, because the Roman officials didn't like to live in Jerusalem. They wanted to live by the ocean. Can't say I blame them um, because at that time Jerusalem was kind of rough. It was in the Judean wilderness up high in the mountains. And so uh, they wanted to be near the coast, but on high holy days and on special occasions in Jerusalem when the uh, Jewish people would be celebrating, the Romans made a big show of coming back in and making sure that everyone knew that they were there to keep the peace, that there was going to be no uprisings, no revolution, no anything while we're here. And so Pilate would have come into the city, probably from the western side of the city, riding a white horse. Uh, with all of his retinue, all of his soldiers behind him, all waving uh, their flags that had the huge golden eagle, the symbol of Rome, and they would have made a great show of force, essentially telling the people of Israel, telling the people in Jerusalem at that point, uh, you are not going to revolt. There will be peace, dadgummit, right? We're bringing the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, peace through superior firepower, which means that if you don't, Uh, if you don't be peaceful, right, if you're not peaceful, then we're going to crush you. And so that's what they did. They travel all the way through the city, all the way to the Antonia Fortress, which at that time was a huge fortress that overlooked the temple. Basically, Rome saying to the people of Jerusalem, we are watching you. Contrast that with what Jesus does a bit later as he comes into Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey and he rides down the Mount of Olives into the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And then as he's coming in, right, there's this whole party that happens. And so what Jesus does in this moment is he's very calculating in the way that he enters into Jerusalem. And he's fulfilling essentially a prophecy that was delivered to the people of Israel from the prophet Zephaniah. And Zephaniah said to the people of Israel in a prophecy that their king would come. And he would say, behold, your king, your Messiah, your savior, he comes to you humble and riding on a donkey. And so in that moment, Jesus has a counter narrative that he presents to the people as opposed to what Pontius Pilate has done. Jesus comes in in humility and peace. Now the people that gathered there, they saw Jesus in an interesting way. They saw what they wanted to see. They saw a Messiah, a Savior, but it was the Savior that they wanted, not the Savior that they needed. 
You see, Jesus came to be the Savior they needed. He came not to bring a revolution uh, that was armed, a revolution of violence. He came to bring a revolution of the heart, something that would transform each and every one of us and transform all of creation. This wasn't just for a few people who had nationalistic aspirations. This was for all of humankind and all of creation. But the people that were gathered there, they saw what they wanted to see, and here's the reason why. 200 years before this happened, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, were under the rule of a Syro-Grecian king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus Epiphanes, he wanted everybody to be Greek, because being Greek was awesome. Greek philosophy was incredible, Greek food, Greek culture, Greek everything, right? Language in the whole nine yards. And he saw the Jewish people as an impediment to his aspirations because they were so darned uh, uh, stubborn about all of their religious um, practices and so forth. So this is what he said. It is illegal uh, to practice dietary laws. He said this to the Jews. It's illegal to practice your dietary laws. It's illegal to uh, practice the Sabbath. It is illegal to circumcise uh, baby boys. And then he uh, absolutely defiled the temple by sacrificing pigs in the temple and adorning it with symbols of gods and goddesses and setting up brothels outside the temple because he wanted it to be a pagan place of worship. And so, needless to say, the Hebrew people uh, were not pleased about any of this and suffered greatly. But there was an uprising, and one of the leaders of this uprising was a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus which has got the greatest name in the history of names. Judah the Hammer uh, is what that means, right? And so Judas Maccabeus defeats Antiochus Epiphanes and rides into Jerusalem, rides into Jerusalem to the sounds of Psalm 118, a psalm that is known as the Hallel, which is the same psalm that is being sung to Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem. Hoshana. Save us now. Behold the one, he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So this is what Judas Maccabeus hears as he's coming into Jerusalem. And the people are waving palm fronds, a sign of victory. So 200 years later, let's fast forward to the first century, and now the time of Jesus as he's entering into Jerusalem. Remember Pilate, the guy that rode his white horse? the Pax Romana, all that stuff, the guy who liked to have a beach house, right? So that guy, right? So Pontius Pilate had already started to anger some of the Jewish people. The first thing that he did that angered them greatly, among other things, was he put images of Caesar in and around the temple. It caused a huge protest. And so he eventually had to remove them. Then he took money from the temple treasury uh, to build an aqueduct, now, in his mind, he's thinking to himself, I'm just going to find a way to bring these primitive people into modern society. But for the people of Israel, for these Hebrew people, what do you think they started to see? It's begun. It's begun. They're starting to take over. They're starting, they're going to make this illegal. They'll make this illegal for us to practice our faith. This is where it's headed. And so they feel the oppression, right, deeply. And so when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, and they, they've heard about this miraculous rabbi, they've heard the stories of all the things that he's done, and the fact that he preaches and teaches about the kingdom of God more than he teaches about anything else, and they are expectant as he rides into Jerusalem. 
And they began to sing, Hoshana, save us now. Behold, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the one who is going to restore the kingdom of David, right? Because that's what that was all about, the restoration of Israel, casting off the oppression of the Romans and setting everything to right for them. That was the Messiah they wanted, the Savior they wanted, the salvation they wanted. But it was not the salvation that Jesus brought. Because, see, Jesus knew that there was something deeper that needed to happen in the hearts of humankind. And the only way that it was going to happen fully and completely was if he rode into Jerusalem and set it into motion. Now, you can imagine as Jesus is standing up on the Mount of Olives looking down at that eastern gate that he had a moment before the moment. He knew that when he arrived in Jerusalem and proclaimed his arrival that the people who wanted to kill him there, and he'd already been told that the religious leaders of his day, would want, they wanted to kill him, he knew that he could not hide, that he was proclaiming his arrival and they would be able to find him. He knew that those crowds that were gathered there shouting and acclaiming and proclaiming him, that they would discover soon enough that he was not the Messiah they wanted, he was the Messiah they needed, and they didn't think they needed that kind of Messiah, and they would turn on him. He knew that his followers, those who were putting their coats on the donkey and throwing him down in front of him, that these disciples would betray him and deny him and leave him to die alone. He knew all of these things, and he didn't waver. In the moment before the moment, he stepped forward fulfilling a prophecy from Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 50, where it said that the servant, the suffering servant uh, that was prophesied would experience these things, would be beaten, would be destroyed, so to speak. But this servant in the prophecy sets his face like flint, it says in the old uh, text, right? He sets his face and he goes. And that's exactly what Jesus did. For your sake and my sake, and for the sake of all of creation. Now the crowd had its own moment before the moment. That crowd that was gathered there, they had a moment when they could have made a decision that was different than the one that they made. Because they acclaimed him, they proclaimed him, they celebrated, but as soon as they discovered that he was not the Messiah they wanted, they turned on him. And the same people who were shouting, Hoshana, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, on Sunday by Friday were screaming, crucify him, crucify him. They had a moment before the moment, and it passed by them. They stepped away from it. Now, the moment before the moment, as we've discovered, is the most important moment. And so now comes our explanation as to why we commemorate this stuff. Like, why do we do this? Like, why do we still uh, wave the palms? Why do we still celebrate Palm Sunday? I mean, what is, what is the reason behind it? I mean, we have all this history. We have all that stuff. That's all well and good. But why do we do it as Christians? And here's why. Because we are reminded on Palm Sunday that Jesus is always riding through. Jesus is always riding through. And we have moments when he rides through when we can make a decision one way or the other whether we're going to follow him or whether we're going to stand with his executioners. 
in the moment before the moment, what are we going to do? Are we going to be part of the crowd or are we going to follow Jesus to the cross as the confession of sin so aptly said? Are we going to follow him or are we going to crucify him? This is what you and I have before us each and every day of our lives. Jesus is always showing up, sometimes in the most unexpected and inconvenient times, and sometimes right at the right time. But he's always showing up. And each and every time that Jesus rides through, you and I have an opportunity where we can choose to follow or to back away. Now, for some of you, this may be the very first time that you've ever had that thought run through your head. Maybe you're new to all this. Maybe you've just started coming to church. Or maybe um, you've never even thought about what it means to really follow Jesus. And so this is the first time that you've started to realize that Jesus does show up. That this is, this is a thing. You know, that I have an opportunity here uh, to step into this, right? Or to walk back down the ladder. I have an opportunity to step forward even though I don't know exactly what's on the other side of it. Although I would argue that this is a great moment for you and I as followers of Christ to claim the fact that we do know what's on the other side ultimately, which is resurrection. And so we have that to hold on to, even though we may not see clearly what happens when we first step off. But for some of us, it may be the first time that you've ever had this moment to make that decision. And for some of you, this isn't your first rodeo. You've heard it over and over and over and over again. Jesus is riding through. Jesus is here. Jesus has arrived. Jesus is coming in and people are waving palms. I have this chance again and again and again every year or every Sunday or every so often, right? This is not your first rodeo. And so here's what I would ask you. Is now that you know, now that it is clear that this is a moment before the moment, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to step into it? Or how are you going to step away? Do you want to be with his followers or to be with the crowd? You know, because you and I have a chance to live the abundant life that Jesus offered to us. That's why he said he came, to give us abundant life, to give us resurrection life. That's why he died and was buried and was raised again, to give us freedom from sin and death, and to be the glory on the other side of whatever we have to go through in order to follow him. And sometimes it is costly to follow Jesus. So what are we going to do? Are you going to continue in this moment before the moment to live small, to live unfulfilled? Or are you going to step out in the uncertainty and know that on the other side of that uncertainty is glory and resurrection? This coming week, we're going to celebrate, or not celebrate, but commemorate uh, the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. On the night before he died, uh, he delivered this message. And he said, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I am not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he has allowed me to go up to the mountain and I have looked over and I have seen the promised land. 
Dr. King had a premonition that his life might be required of him if he continued to press on with his work. But in the moment before the moment, he did not waver. And he continued to step forward and to follow Jesus rather than stand with his executioners. Now for you and I, almost never are any of us called to make our life a living sacrifice, right? But we will sometimes, if we decide to step into following Jesus, be called to die to some stuff. And so maybe you're being called today to follow Jesus and to die to addiction. Maybe you're being called today to follow Jesus and die to your pride and your selfishness. Maybe today you're being called to follow Jesus and to die to your cynicism and bitterness and anger. Maybe you're being called to, Jesus, to follow Jesus rather than to pursue bad relationships. Maybe there's something in your life that you just need to die to in order to really and truly follow him and to be with him during resurrection. This is your moment. How much longer are you going to walk around feeling as though you could have had so much more, that you could have been so much more happy, that you could have been so much more fulfilled, that you could have been the person that God had always dreamed for you to be? This is the moment before the moment. This is your moment. And as you stand there and you look down and it's uncertain, take a breath and know that the one who holds your future, the one who has created a place for you, is on the other side of whatever step that you might take. Because the moment before the moment is the most important moment. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we are humbled and grateful to be able to be here and to celebrate this day, to commemorate uh, your son Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, setting so many things in motion, Lord, that, that God, it's hard for us to imagine um, how much courage and how much bravery it took to do what he did, knowing what he was facing, Lord. And we know that, that this is what we're called to do as well, <clears throat> that if we're called to follow Jesus, that it may be costly, but it may be costly most of all to the things that we need to get rid of, the things that we need to die to. The old people that we used to be need to fade away so that we can be raised to new life in abundance. Lord, I pray that you would give that vision and that desire to each and every one of us who are gathered here today, that in the moments before the moment, we will make a good decision. God, we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.